the Whole Healing Podcast. Healing through nutrition by connecting your mind, body, and food. we talk with Natasha Trenev. UCLA graduate Natasha Trenev and Jordan Trenev founded Natron Inc. in 1982 with the goal of developing the first revolutionary method of producing an effective and scientifically validated single-strain bacteria product. Her efforts led to the establishment of the entire probiotics category in North America, Australia, England, Holland, and Belgium. She is also the founder and chairwoman of the National Institute of Probiotics, dedicated to the technological advancement of probiotic usage. For more than 40 years, Ms. Trenev has been leading the scientific community in the acquisition of knowledge about probiotics. She authored the probiotic standards adopted by the National Nutritional Foods Association, now the National Product Association, which were later read into congressional record. A member of the American Society of Microbiology, American Association for the Advancement of Science, Institute of Food Technologists, Anaerobe Society of the Americas, and American Dairy Science Association, Ms. Trenev is recognized as an educator, research scientist, author, and television and radio personality, as well as an authority on probiotics. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, Natasha, but you're also just a dear friend of the family. And I'm so excited that we finally get to have this conversation. Yeah, you know, it, we are dear friends, and that's how my life has been spent, uh, not only teaching, but creating friendships and getting like-minded people to understand the mission and to understand where my heart is and why I'm doing this, uh, because it's really, in my opinion, the most important knowledge we can have. And I got to be honest, I, you know, as someone who has dealt with, with my gut issues personally, uh, as a child and even as a young adult, I, I gotta admit that I noticed that when I first started taking probiotics, I didn't really see that big of a difference, but it was when I started taking your Natron probiotic, the Trinev Trio specifically was the, was the line that actually made a difference specifically with my digestion. And it kind of was this epiphany moment for me where I realized, oh my gosh, like we have so many different bacteria bacterial strains, so many different species who perform so many different functions. And my understanding from the literature is that these bacteria actually have the ability to change their functions according to what's around them in their environment. And so if there's so much variability with these bacterial species, the question becomes, do we really know anything about these bacteria at all? And, and, and can we use specific strains in the intention of applying a supplement or a, a probiotic that has an intention that has a specific function. And I think that's what really was the epiphany moment for myself when I started taking your probiotic was, oh, we can use this bacteria for gut motility. We can use this bacteria for gut inflammation. And so I'm really excited to talk with you more today about the different functions of all these different bacteria. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was the first one to introduce the concept of the word probiotic, which means for life and also to introduce the concept of strains. A microbiology is an extremely complex science. And it's like the 26 blind men feeling the elephant. Whatever part of the elephant you feel, uh, you, that's what you think you know. But having started from the beginning and coming from a, a family that were experts in fermentation because we sold uh, natural style yogurt uh, and cheeses as far back as 750 years in Macedonia, 
Wow. And so we brought that knowledge of fermentation. And that's so important because bacteria are probably a lot smarter than we are. They do, they do not use their cellular energy because they want to impress us. We have to create the environment where they want to work for us and do all those things that we need done in our GI tract to first let us think clearly, uh, utilize our energy for fuel, and have a healthy body. Uh, whatever it is, it means that we're a hybrid. In other words, we have to create a unity between these bacteria that are everywhere in our body, including our bloodstream, and our cellular structure. And that unity that's optimized daily needs to stay focused on keeping you healthy and running. I don't think people realize that every minute you lose 10 million cells. If your body's not an efficient protein machine, then you have what we call cheap protein manufacturer. So what does that mean? Does that mean that our body is making proteins, but they're just not as uh, fine-tuned as what they would normally be if we That's were being right. And they lead to disease. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, mis misfolded proteins means misfolded right. DNA. Okay. That makes, sense. Right. that makes sense to me. Right. Well, you're giving a more technical and I appreciate that. I try to keep it simple because I want people to understand that, you know, our whole body guys is rebuilt in one year. So if you are trashing your body, with the wrong diet, have the wrong thoughts, uh, you know, listen to uh, whatever, uh, what I call the flavor of the month is uh, that's gonna make you healthy, uh, then you lose out. Because the whole point is not just to age, but to age gracefully and still be functional. Because there's only three things that can turn on your genes. And those three things are your perception of reality, the microbes in your gut, they can turn on and off genes, and the toxins you ingest. That's uh, it. Yeah. Well, so, so when you talk about like the, like the first one, right, let's, let's talk about like your perception. Does mm -hmm. that really come down to stress and, and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you a simple example. Let's say you're, you're stressed out. And the, the example I gave you before, if you're stressed out, what happens to your blood flow? It goes to the extremities because your body is assuming you're being chased by a saber toothed tiger and you had to find shelter. So all of the energy is focused on pumping that adrenaline, taking all the resources to make sure the blood is to extremities because now you've got to sprint and you've got to sprint fast. But the problem is in modern day society, that stress level and anxiety is never stopped, okay? Right. It's 24 seven. So sure. when you're stressed, you can produce chemicals that do impair the composition of your beneficial bacteria. And that directly affects the production of serotonin and dopamine. But we know it's the beneficial bacteria that stimulate the production of serotonin because once we straighten out the gut, the mood you know, has a chance to alter. So what can you tell us about short chain fatty acids when it comes to these beneficial bacteria and their role in, in health? Yeah, well, they, they will help the, the body to create the short chain fatty acids, which are necessary for your health, whether it it's breaking it down in the digestive process or making sure it's bioavailable to our body. There are many ways that they can make sure that this is bioavailable to the body because remember, these beneficial bacteria have evolved with us since the beginning of time. And their vested interest is to keep us healthy. Why? Because they're the best, we're the best location for them to thrive and to re replicate their own kind. The, the primal objective of each bacteria is to find a place to land and produce as many of its own kind as it can. 
of course, to reproduce and survive. That makes sense. Not, yeah. not any different for anything else. <laughs> yeah. So that's exactly it. You know, it's and, and what people do is they take things out of context. Well, this one will help produce, you know, a short chain fatty acids. Well, this will produce this. What I'm saying, I have studied this for 54 years. If you have the right bacteria in the small intestine, in the large intestine, and one that helps you with your daily digestive process, all of these things will happen naturally. They will be naturally because you've created a condition where these things can thrive. And I think what we've done in um, the health food industry is when we started uh, imitating the pharma model, give somebody a supplement for each symptom. We've gotten away because I'm, the, I'm go back, as I say, 54 years. The primary directive of everybody in the health food field is to improve digestion. Because it was the firm belief then, if you improve digestion and you switch the diet and you get exercise, you will be healthy. So I think that leads me into my next question because you know we have so many products these days on the market when it comes to not just probiotics, but fermented foods and fermented food products. How do we use that information to help us optimize okay. our gut? <laughs> so remember, um, there's functional foods, which fermented foods are, and then there's true probiotic supplementation. I helped set the standard in the state of California in 1969 for liquid yogurt. And then I was called upon by the state of New York to fly to New York and help the uh, state set a standard for traditional kefir. And they have, you know, starter cultures are starter cultures by design because they've been used effectively to ferment that milk that you're selling or whatever you're fermenting so that it can become a more digestible and absorbable food. So what does the variability in starter cultures look like? And how do you know that you're getting a high quality one? You don't. They, they see there's a USDA standard that says you cannot call a product a yogurt unless it's uh, fermented by a combination of lactobacillus vulgaricus and streptococcus thermophilus. Oh, and those are the only two. Those are the only two. Now, people throw in so-called probiotic bacteria. It's meaningless because they, it's not there in, a, in an environment that it likes. It probably won't survive. And whatever survives will do you no good. So it just looks good on the label. Sure. That's something that like even in my dietetic career and with all the other healthcare professionals that I've talked to about probiotics seems to be a really interesting conversation because the idea and the mentality in, in the nutrition world, which is not always accurate and correct, is that the more bacterial strains you have, the better, or the more different species of bacteria you have, the better. And so what I'm hearing you say is that's not necessarily the case at all. That's not necessarily the case. It's not the case at all. And so these are the ones that are just the most well-researched and we know how to control the environments to allow them yeah. to reach our intestines and, and okay, hopefully so, colonize, right? Right. Uh, actually, each person has between 160 and 170 species oh. in their gut. We don't have, we have thousands of species that can choose to colonize, uh, but uh, our body will usually use or accept a colonization of 160 to 170 species. Oh, that's so the concept of that you're throwing in all these probiotic bacteria is totally against uh, what I call scientific reality. So, so what, what these people do is they take uh, maybe like 20 different species and they make concentrates. And why they make concentrates is because they throw out 97% of the material that was used to ferment them. They only isolate the cells and so the cells are there without any nourishment or protection. 
and then they, use, and then they use an inert substance like maltodextrin or cellulose to, uh, uh, how shall I say, combine it so it becomes a product. And so I've tested many of these products and usually only one organism or maybe two out of the eight or 20 that are listed on the label are really dominating the potency. Oh my gosh. And, and are they even living? Are they actually living cultures typically? Uh, yeah, the, some of them are, but, but a lot of them are damaged because when you expose a probiotic product to mishandling, it stresses the cells. So what these people have done, they, they, they're not really interested in selling you a product that works. They want to give you what you think you want and what's convenient. And what I tell people, convenience doesn't always spell organic or, you know, worthwhile. Or quality, right? Absolutely. And that was the thing that blew my mind when I toured your probiotic facility. It was like, oh my gosh, the amount of science and 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 geometry and physics that goes into surviving a cell just to get it into a bottle, to have it, you know, refrigerated. And, and it's just such a delicate matter that it's kind of like, you know, like you're bringing home a baby from the, from, from the hospital. You don't, you don't just, you know, ship it in a box. Right. You really have to do a lot of care to make sure that these right. bacterial or species are surviving the, the capsule process. So, yeah. So, so just think of this. Now you put these bacteria that are naked next to each other in a capsule or a bottle. Okay. The natural state of microbes in a compressed state like this is mutual antagonism. Yeah, right. I don't want, I, you're unfamiliar and I don't, I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar, but I don't know you and I don't want to cohabit. So they're either going to try to eliminate each other or they're going to die because they're going to uh, not wish to, you know, waste their cellular energy here. But it's not a, a, a ideal opportunity for them to thrive. And usually when I test these products, the rest of the bacteria are there in uh, unknown numbers. And all you have is a genetic presence, no clue as to what's really there. So then I asked the people, well, what's the purpose? Because these bacteria are supposed to act like starter cultures in your gut. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to get there and say, oh, you've given me such a good ride. I'm gonna come in here and really start reproducing. But most of the products you know, uh, don't survive mishandling because remember, in a capsule, there's something called arrested growth. That means that they're not growing as uh, fast as they should be, but when you're, they're exposed to heat, when they're exposed to temperature changes where the moisture starts growing, they start replicating fast. They can grow from one cell to uh, 8 billion in a couple of hours. Wow. Okay. So if they're growing in this closed-ended environment where no food is coming in and no waste is going out, what's going to happen? They're going to die or they're going to become stressed. And sometimes they put, these people put gums on them to stop all kinds of things just to let you think that you can sell something and they call it shelf stable. Well, there's no such temperature in warehousing distribution or, you know, uh, people when they see something that's called shelf stable. I know because I've been doing this for so many years, they'll throw it in a hot trunk, they'll leave it in the windowsill because I'm sorry to say since the microwave generations people don't understand the perishability of food or bacteria. The reason you put foods in the refrigerator is to stop the bacteria from multiplying and spoiling your food. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, right. And so when you put a probiotic in a refrigerator, you're just slowing its, it, it, it's, it's, it's life right. cycle down so that it doesn't come stress to your body. And that's why we have a short expiry date because we know we want this bacteria to reach your body in an uh, optimal state. It has to be happy and thriving 
in order to want to replicate and do you any good. Right. <laughs> I mean, does that make sense? Oh, totally. And, and so that makes sense why, you know, you, you don't want to necessarily consume a, a probiotic that's three years old or, you know, one that's been left out of the fridge because it's just not going to give you the optimal. Yeah. And even in a plastic bottle, because a plastic bottle has a certain level of porosity that will let moisture in wow. and that will start them, you know, multiplying. First so, class, that is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so that's why, you know, we have about 80% uh, customer retention. That's why I'm still working because I feel I have an obligation to make sure this information goes out before I semi-retire. I never want to stop working. I love educating. I love my job, but this is so important. I don't think people realize, you know, that when they said thousands of years ago that all health is connected to the gut. Right. And the gut is not your stomach. It's and that was Socrates that said that, wasn't it? Wasn't it Socrates? Yes, who yes, said that? yes, that's <laughs> correct. So your, your digestion starts at your mouth and ends at the other end. So you have 27 feet of tubing that has to process this food in cooperation with the bacteria that are there so that it doesn't upset the 70 to 80% of the immune cells that also line the intestinal tract and are there to protect the body so that the wrong nourishment or the pathogen doesn't get into the bloodstream. I would love to have a conversation with you about what blew my mind was raw vegetables versus cooked vegetables. Because if we have this 27 feet of tubing, what environments are optimal for digestion? And with all of the digestive problems that we have in this country right now, a lot of people, I think, get the wrong information. They think if they just eat vegetables, they'll feel better. But a lot of people eat vegetables and they get sick. And so now people are turning to carnivore diets. And so I just kind of want to get your insight on, on, on what that looks like as far as vegetable um, breakdown mechanically and digestively. Yeah. Okay, so let me go back because I've studied cultures where people were healthy. Every culture that I've studied, uh, including the ones in the Balkans who were, you know, first sighted as living healthy and into their, you know, hundreds with no disease, uh, the people of the Caucasus, the people of the Hansa. So I've studied this and in no culture do they eat a lot of raw vegetables. In any of those cultures, yeah, what they do is they saute the vegetables with either onions or they stir fry them like they do in Asia. Why? Because all of these vegetables I'm talking about are organic. Organic means it also has a lot of soil bacteria on it. So what you wanna do is first, you wanna get rid of the soil bacteria. That's why you have that hot stir fry in Asia that kills the bacteria. And you wanna start breaking down the components of this vegetable so that your body doesn't have such a hard time breaking it down. So is it, is it true that there are people who have strong enough guts and, and digestive systems to break down raw vegetables more than others? You know, that's the theory because I've grown up with that theory, you know, um, and there was a lot of debate. But, you know, uh, usually when people ate raw vegetables was to lose weight because they know a lot of it wouldn't get digested and it would be just fiber. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> or if you steam vegetables, what I like to do is steam my broccoli and cauliflower together. And then I mash it with, you know, garlic and extra virgin olive oil. And I put a little bit of lemon or if you want uh, rice vinegar. And it's great because, you know, I make it mushy sort of. So it looks almost like a mashed potato. You're just really and, breaking it down. <laughs> and breaking it down because well, guess what? No gas, no, you know, really? after effects. And you know that the body's being nourished. Ah, right. Because it's bioavailable because it's broken down. That, that's something that's so fascinating to me that like we don't we don't really learn in school either is like the mechanical breakdown 
down leads to the uh, increased absorbability in the gut. And so if we don't break it right. down, we can't absorb it as easily. Our, our bodies aren't invincible. The only thing that we ate raw was lettuce, cucumbers, tomatoes, and onions, and maybe green onions. That's about it. We didn't wow. eat any other vegetable raw. Especially those cruciferous, right? I was reading a little bit about the brassica family and how they have those, um, is it isothiocyanides? Those, mm -hmm. those antioxidants that are, that are so beneficial, but they have to be broken down. Like the, like the brassica family has to be broken down in order to even access those, those antioxidants. So that's really fascinating. I, I think so, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, so the diet, remember, we also talked about, so let me just go back and tell you the tripod of health. Okay. Sure. It's diet, exercise, and precision probiotics. And why you need precision probiotic supplements? Because in the last hundred years, our food supply has become very contaminated with microorganisms that are resistant to every known antibiotic. And I tell people, don't blame me. I have no responsibility to what we've done to our environment. There's, you know, uh, yeast mycotoxins in grain products. That's why people develop allergies towards grains. Uh, there's problems with even organic vegetables because they also carry bacteria. The difference between organic and non-organic is that the non-organic probably have pesticides, which are no good either, but the organic ones have a higher load of microbes because they are organic. Oh, interesting. You see, the, the microbes want to be part of us and we have to make sure because we've created the imbalance, not the microorganisms. So we have to do something to recreate that balance and make it work for us. I love it. That makes so much sense to me. And, 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 and gosh, like while we're on that topic of, of, of food and, and exercise and, and precision probiotics, you know, I, I kind of mentioned to you uh, a little while ago that we just started this new private practice nutrition company centered in nutrition, exercise, and mental health, mind, body, and food. And I really wanted to touch on the gut brain axis with you and kind of talk about the relationship of our gut microbiota specifically and the relationship to mental health. Um, Cause you've blown my mind multiple times kind of explaining this to me. I know that a lot of people have heard that 90% of, of our serotonin is, is, is made in our gut mm -hmm. with our tryptophan and our probiotics. But can you maybe just touch a little bit more on the mental health and the relationship of the bacteria and in, in, in our, in our brain? Yeah, but let me give you some examples of what we got is a permission from juvenile hall to radically change the diet of the people who were in juvenile hall to stop them having candy, sodas, burgers, you know, more candy, more soda, more coffee. And by five o'clock, they were so aggressive. They were so violent. They had to be locked down before dinner. Anyway, when we implemented a natural diet, which did have whole grains, do you know these children had actual withdrawals like an addict? They were on the phone crying, begging their parents to bring them anything, a candy bar, a soda, anything. It's a hard, it's a hard detox, isn't it? <laughs> it's a hard detox. And, but what we found in two weeks alone, we, re we reduced the level of violence at that five o'clock, what I call witching hour by 70%. Oh my God. With, with diet, is there any exercise involved or what, what no, did you do? It was just diet change. That's just diet change. And that's what I tell mothers with their children. You know, it's hard because the children want that sugar because it's addictive. And guess what? The microbes, because we've now had many generations with both the father and the mother are not passing on healthy microbes to their children. So these microbes become addicted to the simple sugars and they actually punish you by not giving you the good chemicals you want or 
making you feel bad. And so then they are part of your, your need to have more of that. And I think it's important to state here that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I think because the literature really does show how closely related our, our mesolimbic pathway and our dopamine receptors and our addictive pathways are related to sugar. It's mind blowing to me that the American Psychiatric Association hasn't yet defined food addiction as an actual diagnosis, but it doesn't mean that we can't exhibit addictive like symptoms to these foods. And I think that people really need to understand the difference there that just because we can't call this a diagnosis doesn't mean that very similar mechanisms aren't happening. And we can make, you know, we can make inferences about how it may or may not end up happening in the future because of it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I come from the old school of health for health food aficionados. And we say Western medicine is great for critical care, but Holistic medicine is great for lifestyle and making you healthy. The whole purpose of health is to make yourself healthy, not to listen to 10 people with differing views that constantly change to sell a program. When I choose my bacteria, I know like, for instance, the acidophilus likes to live in the small intestine. Why is it so important? Because that's where a lot of our uh, absorption takes place. And it's quieting the immune system so it doesn't overreact when there's nourishment coming across the intestinal wall. Acidophilus is playing that role? Yes. Oh, wow. And it likes to live there. Why? Because it has a mixture of oxygen and non-oxygen. It's actually called a facultative anaerobe. Ah, so it can live with or without oxygen. And the right. small intestine is kind of right in there. Right. And so the bifidobacteria is an obligate anaerobe. And what does that mean? It loves to live in the large intestine where you have your waste and disposal system because if waste and disposal is not working right, all of those toxins get back to the uh, liver to be filtered again. And how is this related to mental health? Because those toxins have an interference, even in the small intestine or in digestion, they have an interference with what gets sent up that vagus nerve from the guts to the first brain. Oh, interesting. So if we have a buildup of toxins, you're saying the transmission of neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine from the gut to the brain is impaired. Absolutely impaired. Remember that combination of bacteria in the gut stimulates the relationship between your second brain, which is called the enteric nervous system and the first brain. And, and the enteric not, nervous system is the, the nervous system that's attached to your gut. Is that, is that my That's saying? right. That and it's question? separate. It's, it operates on its own. Oh, so it's not, it doesn't operate in accordance to the regular brain or in accordance to the gut? Or no, it, it, does not op, it does not interface with the other nervous systems. It's separate. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, I should have known that. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's okay. It's, it's a new science. And the enteric uh, nervous system is completely uh, on its own. It does, you know, uh, at, at times communicate with the other nervous systems, but it's on its own. And it it gets aggravated by your thoughts. It gets aggravated by the chemicals produced in the body. So it's a catch-22 situation. Especially with stress. Yeah, if if you're stressed out and thinking negative thoughts, you're producing chemicals that suppress the beneficial bacteria, which in turn then cannot produce the serotonin and the dopamine that you need. And so that creates a problem. So that's when you're under stress, you need to have more proper probiotic supplementation. And I tell people, please do not take bacteria to treat symptoms. What I've created is a system where each bacteria has a specific function in the body that's been in the literature for at least a hundred years. And that we know 
that it's always working in our best interest and it's delivered to the body in a specific way so that it has a chance of implanting itself in this 27 feet and actually doing some good. And that's why I'm still working because I have to overcome the misinformation that is out there because it's, it's a critical time. And I think in man's civilization, uh, we're gonna have tremendous challenges. The children are gonna be challenged. And right now I'm working on a autism project because I know if nothing is done by 2030, one in two children in North America will be autistic. Oh my gosh. Oh yes, oh yes. So, you know, all these numbers are not changing and people keep talking, they're putting on podcasts, they're, they're doing whatever, but nobody's really, uh, and the same misinformation gets passed on from one practitioner to another. And so we have no progress. And so can you talk a little bit about what the mechanisms behind autism are that, that are, that are implicative of a, of a microbiota dysbiosis? Okay, well, you know, that's another hour lecture, but let me give you an <laughs> executive summary. Um, we have found that uh, because of the introduction of processed food with chemicals laden, that both the health of the mother's side of the family and the father's side goes back two generations with some kind of dysbiosis, some kind of digestive issue, which people find annoying that, you know, they're not digesting, they're gassy, ha ha. It's an embarrassing social joke. Well, let me assure you, it's not a joke because those issues culminate and usually two generations of that, the third generation is gonna have a mother and a father that's gonna predispose the child uh, to a problem. Because if you don't have the right microbiota, your body cannot filter out toxins. And so when, you know, when the issue of the vaccines comes up, I said, if the vaccines have either a um, mercury preservative or they have an aluminum preservative, that's a toxin the body cannot handle because of the microbiota upset. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And so if your child is not healthy, it's prone to have these problems with the vaccines because the body cannot efficiently eliminate the toxins. Interesting. Is that, you know, and I'm not getting involved in the whole, you know, controversy of vaccines, but I'm just telling you how the GI tract operates. And yeah. if we don't stop this, we're having more and more people born without the proper microorganisms at birth. For instance, I was the first one to introduce a microbe called Bifidobacteria infantis. Oh my gosh, you were the first? That thing is so beneficial. It's not even funny, the literature on this one. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, what's interesting about it is the specific species that I chose and strain uh, was studied at the University of California, Davis. And I had numerous publications since I think 2012. Uh, and they studied and they found that breast milk specifically creates oligosaccharides that are stimulating this species of bacteria. And, and now with this breast milk shortage and, and with the formula shortage, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, is this something that could be beneficial for all of us? It's actually, it doesn't matter even if you're breastfeeding in North America, less than 7% of the mothers are able to pass on this bacteria to their child. Wow. That's even if good. you're breastfeeding and you have a natural delivery because we've destroyed the habitat for this bacteria to be passed on. In fact, I was looking at articles in European journals as late as 1970, 
they were talking about that we should be paying attention to this and not you know making the same mistake anymore. Do you recommend that women who are pregnant take bifidobacterium infantis? Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Especially in the wow. third trimester, and they give it to their child when it's born, uh, because this bacteria is so important. Every one of the bacteria that I have chosen, I've studied and studied. Now, this bacteria is so important because it does something what we call build up a tolerance. The whole problem with uh, ingestion of nourishment through, through the, uh, the intestine is when these nourishments pass the intestine, if the immune system perceives it to be a protein that might be a bacteria, it reacts. So the infantis has a unique uh, communication with the immune system because it, it downregulates. It says, hey, it's okay. You know, this is just nourishment coming across the intestinal wall to nourish you. It's not an invader. Because the immune system, the innate immune system has to develop and understand because all bacteria are protein, okay? And all of these uh, proteins that we need to ingest sometimes appear to the immune system as a pathogenic bacteria. And that's why you have allergies, that's why you have all these problems with the immune system because the immune system is perceiving a nourishment to be an attacker. Right, and that's, and that's not gonna happen if you have a, a microbiome and a, and, and, a, and a gut that that's high integrity because it's got a, the ability to differentiate is my understanding. Is that's that right? right. It's right. It's the communication. It's the crosstalk. They'll talk to us, to each other by photon light emission, by chemical means, but they're talking to each other. It looks more exciting than a Star Wars scene. <laughs> I can't even imagine. That's, that's insane that they're using light photons to communicate with each other. I just yeah. I think it's so... Yeah. Really, and, and, and I said, just imagine what's going on in your gut while we're talking here and you're enjoying yourself. There's billions of functions going on all the time. And so you cannot be so lackadaisical about mistreating your intestinal tract. You better know how your operating system works better than this operating system, because guess what? This operating system will make you live longer and be healthy. And I think like the hard part about that is we're, we're just surrounded, Natasha, in this country by hyper palatable foods, drive throughs, fried food, uh -huh. fast foods, you know, all these, all these hyper, hyper palatable foods that are high in sugar and salt and fat. And I think that, you know, we, we lose the ability to use logic and common sense when we talk so much about, mm -hmm. you know, the, the foods that are harming our gut and, and the, what the long-term implications are. So I think that there, there, there's, there's potential, you know what I mean? And in, in, in building a good foundation with healthy eating and healthy foods, and then yeah. eventually, you know, finding balance with those fun foods to the point where they don't destroy your microbiome. And do you feel like that's a, a, a fair, a, some, a fair plan? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think what it is in this country, we have a, we have a, a food crisis. Uh, it's not the cost of inflationary foods. It's the lack of understanding, uh, the lack of understanding of the gut, what it needs and why the environment has changed. We've got now a dozen bacteria that are resistant to every known um, antibiotic. Uh, we've now recently had a recall of GIF of peanut butter because we had an E. coli infection. And since I've been watching uh, food poisoning episodes since the uh, early 1980s, I can tell you it's right around 80 million cases a year. And it's not good. That's because lot. most people don't know how to value their food or what, what's in it because this new E. coli is so deadly. All you need is 10 colony forming units and it can actually shut down your kidney. That's terrible. So it's not a joke anymore. And so that's why 
You need to protect your internal ecosystem every day because we've changed the external ecosystem. It's no longer benign E. coli. It's no longer benign. These pathogens have evolved and they're quite deadly and they're prevalent in our communities now. They're not just in the hospital. They're not just, so we have to, first of all, take extraordinary measures to wash our vegetables, to have a sanitary kitchen and to stop eating out because these fast food places, you know, hire minimum wage uh, people. And you have no idea where you're gonna have an outbreak, especially if they're trying to sell you organic food because they're not washing it well enough. And I think just unfortunately the integrity of, you know, most fast food chains is not excellent because you're not paying somebody, you know, $85,000 a year for their career. You're paying somebody minimum wage and, and mm-hmm. so you're gonna get minimum wage sanitation. Yeah. So. So I think, I think you make a, you bring a great point to the table. Um, can you just really lightly, and I, I know we're way over time here, but just for a final thought with, with, with a recent E. coli in the, in the GIF peanut butter, uh, outbreak, you know, I think that's something that everybody would, our, our listeners would really love to know is, you know, we have natural E. coli in our gut. And so what is it that turns E. coli against us and how, how can we, what can we do to help prevent yeah. that? Well, well, first of all, you know, what happened with the antibiotic attack, because all the organisms perceived that as an attack on their whole civilization. So, so wait, when you say antibiotics, do you mean the antibiotics that were, were given as a medication to fight off infections? Yeah, and we give too many antibiotics. I think the stats now are that a newborn infant the, in the first year will get four to six rounds of antibiotics. Wow, that's a lot. And, and especially during a time where they're trying to build their microbiome. That's right, that's right. And so in the 1980s, for the first time, we had a pathogenic E. coli that it, because of trying to survive, it got genetic material from another very nasty organism called the Shigella. And you know that's why bacteria will produce substances to antagonize Uh, anything that tries to disrupt its life cycle. So unfortunately for us, it felt a need to develop this toxin so it can clear the zone for itself. But in the meantime, it lost that uh, vital relationship with the human body because now it became a big pathogen instead of a friendly bacteria that was part of our gut. So there are strains of E. coli that are still very friendly but you're always afraid that if you ingest one of the pathogenic ones, that it doesn't teach the other E. coli to adopt the same physical attribute to produce this toxin. Oh my gosh. So if we ingest a raw, like a, 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 an E. coli that's been trying to practice survival by adopting the Shigella um, genetic toxin. material. Yeah. It's called yeah. a toxin, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're saying that that, could, that bacteria can actually teach our good E. coli how to become resistant and, and how to That's essentially right. produce it's, those it's toxins. It's called survival of the fittest. And see, these bacteria will produce substances. And this is very important for you to understand why you have to know who's selecting the bacteria and what you're ingesting. Because bacteria produce substances that eliminate competition. The beneficial bacteria I've chosen only produce lactic acid, formic acid, and any acid that's beneficial to the body, but is antagonistic to the pathogens. They will never produce anything that will harm the body. Cool, good, okay. good, because I don't want to take anything that would. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying, that people are taking these soil bacteria, they're getting this you know, nonsense about the soil bacteria, 
But the reason that they're soil bacteria is because they will produce toxic material if they need to clear their territory. Sure, sure, right. And, it, and it's survival of the fittest and it's all about survival. And so if you have, if you compromise that with a bout of antibiotics that doesn't actually kill it off, you're really doing yourself a disservice in the long term, it sounds like. Yeah, and that's why I always say when you take um, antibiotics, two week, uh, you have to take two hours later a probiotic during the, the therapy. And really? then after you finish with the antibiotics, continue for at least two to three weeks to make sure there are no holes in that uh, protection that we have in our intestinal tract. So it's actually more beneficial to take those probiotics because that's something I did learn in school is that you're not supposed to take probiotics. And that's probably common practice in most hospitals in this country. If you have a, if you have an antibiotic on, on board for a patient, then they do not get, they do not get probiotics. But what oh, you're no, saying no. is they need those probiotics, right? Yeah. And, and what, 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 the, what the big you know, problem I have is that they, if they do give them a probiotic, it's a yeast. And I okay. said, you know, I protest, uh, yeast is not a probiotic. It can be no. used to ferment foods. It can be used to make bread, but it's not a, a historically known uh, probiotic. It's not a bacteria. Uh, yeah, it's not a bacteria. It's a yeast. It's a much more complex, smarter organism. Huh. And they've had problems with fungemia in hospitals that have administered this product, but it's yes. not widely you know, uh, accepted because it's not something that anybody wants to discuss. And I tell people, you know, yeast overgrowth is very prevalent. And if mm -hmm. you're taking more yeast in, that means that you're subjecting your colonies of yeast to become more aggressive and change shapes. So beer and wine? <laughs> yeah, well, beer and wine, yeah. Guess what? That, you know, remember what I told you? The same, or, uh, the same yeast that makes beer is used to make kombucha. And there's one other organism that's in kombucha that uh, makes cellulose. And I said to people, can you please explain to me why you, you have you would ingest a bacteria that's making cellulose as part of its you know uh, microbiological function? Yeah, and we don't have to answer that. And yeah. I said, so so if you if you're thinking about not getting a beer belly, why would you be consuming kombucha every day? And more so in the culture, it's consumed as a natural medicine and in very small amounts by families who've been making this for generations and know what they're doing here. We go crazy. Oh, we're going to consume, you know, a quart of something a day. And I said, no, you can't do that. We don't know enough about these organisms together and what they can produce and what the side effects might be. Right. Oh my gosh, Natasha, this has just been so much beautiful, wonderful information. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Um, and, and if, um, hopefully if listeners have any questions, they can subscribe to the food fast podcast and, and also how are you reachable? these days. Oh, yeah, you can go to natron.com. Uh, there's a question for customers. We have a lot of literature, have my position on prebiotics, on a number of things. And, you know, all I have to say is that you have to produce the bacteria and give it incentive to survive. Uh, you know, you, you were talking about the Healthy Trinity earlier. It's the only product in the world that uses a oil matrix delivery system that ensures the bacteria survive stomach acid as low as 1.7 pH for over an hour. Wow. Wow. That's why the products work. And right. I stand behind it. And it's not, a, it, it, to me, it's not about selling products. Believe me, I could be making 10 times more money if I wanted to play the game. I'm here because I know how important this is, especially with the coming challenges we have and the children problems we have. We need to get the right information. 
We need to have the right diet information. We need to have the right exercise. Not too much. I'm not a big fan of marathon, you know, uh, <laughs> as a way of exercising. You know, too much exercise yeah. can actually damage your body. You know, and people don't realize that either. The stress is, is, is it's, it's got to be intentional and controlled. If you, if you over-exercise, you're going to over-stress, which means you're going to kill your bacteria. So, so less is, or more is not always more. No. And so, look, um, I've worked with estheticians, plastic surgeons, dermatologists, internists, gastroenterologists, you name it, immunologists. I've worked with all of them. And they have come to realize that if you keep a healthy gut, you have the best chance of not getting ill. Oh, I love it. That, you know, that's, that's what I think we should end on right there. I think that, that, you know, it Socrates said it right. And he, and, you know, he's, he was not, he was a pretty smart guy. And I think that if all DCs starts in the gut, then we have to, to protect the gut if we want to prevent